Hey, Helen Hong. Hey, J. Keith Van Stratton. Well, wait a minute. We're not supposed to drop an episode today. We're not supposed to drop one till January. I wonder why we're doing it. It's like a holiday gift. Wait a minute. Our episode drops today on Christmas Day. Merry <laughs> Christmas to everybody who celebrates. It's like Jesus in the manger, but not really. Thanks, Helen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so listen, uh, it's been a rough year for everybody, so we wanted to give you a little holiday cheer by dropping our next episode early today on Christmas. Uh, and we've got a special treat because this is actually a live episode recorded with a live audience. Remember those? <sighs> Vaguely. Well, actually, this one you were not there for, Helen. You had, a, I believe, a family obligation and could not make it. But we've got the wonderful Allie Gertz subbing as uh, my hosting partner. Mm. And, of course, we've got the incredible guests of Aaron Foley and Freddie Wong and some really special experts. Boy, listening to the show really makes me miss uh, being able to be with Helen in person and with our live audience in person. And we can't wait for that to happen again next year. I know. Live audience, we miss you guys so much. We really, really do. So uh, we hope you enjoy this uh, moment of happy times when we were all able to gather together. Um, and I'm also happy to share some very happy news and updates from some of our previous guests. And Helen, I don't even think you know some of this that I'm about to tell you. Mm. Um, so those of you who remember episode 63, we had Mujan Zolfagari on as a guest. And our surprise expert for her topic of Gremlins was the director, Joe Dante. Right. Now, uh, you may remember that she did a very good gizmo impression. And Joe Dante was so impressed, he even implied, like, oh, maybe there's a role for her in uh, his new Gremlins project. <gasps> well, guess what? Mujan wrote me the other day to tell me that she actually has been cast to give a voice of one of the Gremlins in what? that project. Yes. No way! And it all happened because of her appearing on our podcast. J. Keith, we are, we are, we are Santa Claus. We are. We are, we are Santa are. Claus. Yes. This show was a launching pad to everyone but us. Um, <laughs> but no, in all, in all seriousness, we want to congratulate Mujan and thank Joe Dante for passing her along to the people who were casting in that. Um, we are so looking forward to uh, what Mujan has to offer that show. And she certainly deserves all of the credit because her enthusiasm and her talent really shone through on that episode. And if you guys haven't heard that episode, yeah. she really does an amazingly convincing gizmo voice. I also wanted to share some happy news with a former expert of ours. Episode 58, we had Danielle Koenig and Walter Koenig as our guests. And our expert for Walter was the oldest former Major League Baseball player named Eddie Robinson. At the time we recorded that episode, Eddie was 98, still sharp as a tack. When we dropped that episode, he was 99, still sharp as a tack. And mm -hmm. as we record this episode today, Eddie has turned 100. <gasps> Happy birthday, Eddie. Happy birthday. And what do you do when you turn 100 years old? Why, of course, you start your own podcast. <laughs> I am not joking. Eddie is that Robinson, what he's done? Eddie Robinson has his own podcast now. Amazing. It is, of course, called The Golden Age of Baseball with Eddie Robinson. You can find it wherever you get podcasts. And uh, if you thought the stories he shared on our show were something, wait to hear what he has to offer on a regular basis. Uh, you know, he played 65 years in baseball as a player, a scout, a coach, a front office executive, um, and just a, a really interesting, smart, crackerjack uh, sense of humor. And he's um, literally 100 he years literally old. literally 100. He probably is the oldest living podcaster as well as being the oldest living former Major League <laughs> Baseball player. So there is our happy news. Uh, we hope you enjoy this episode. Have a happy holiday season, a happy new year. Our next episode will drop as usual on the third Friday of January, and we'll look forward to your tuning in then. 
Thank you, everybody, for sticking with us for such a crazy year as we've had to transition to doing our uh, remote recordings. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, Helen, for rolling with everything mm-hmm. and for uh, continuing to uh, to be a spark in the Hollywood firmament. <laughs> thank you, guys. We appreciate you so much. Happy holidays, and we'll see you next year. We'll see you next year. Enjoy this episode of Go Fact Yourself. your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we take the smartest people we know and make them look dumb and then smart again. I'm Allie Gertz, and now from the Angel City Brewery in downtown Los Angeles, here's our moderator, Jay Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Allie. Thank you, everybody. Allie, I especially appreciate our listeners might not know this, but when you said my name, you did a little bit of a game show flourish. <laughs> I sure did. I wanted them to know where you are. Uh, that, this is where I am. I'm here. <laughs> I feel like a refrigerator. It's very exciting. I feel brand new. Uh, Allie, it's wonderful to welcome you back as a, as a guest uh, co-host. Thank you for being here again. You didn't get rid of me. It's very nice. No. <laughs> there were there were some petitions, too, and I said, why would you? You're completely wrong because she did a wonderful job, and we're happy to have her, and I'm probably going to cut this out anyway. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> You are no stranger to podcasts, nor a podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. Tell us about your Simpsons podcast, uh, which is called... Round Springfield. Round Springfield. Uh, So Julia Prescott and I host our second Simpsons-themed podcast. Our first one was called Everything's Coming Up Simpsons, Mm -hmm. where we talked to uh, people who worked on the show or just people who work in Hollywood about their favorite episode of The Simpsons Mm -hmm. that hasn't been picked yet. Right. (laughs) I I was a guest on that show, (laughs) and many of my my favorites were already picked. And that's why we ended the show. Okay. (laughs) Because eventually it was yeah. talking about episodes that, frankly, I don't like. I'm right. a huge snob about So the it's Simpsons. not the guests that you didn't like. It, it was, was me that I don't like. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I hate myself no, what, a once you get bit. Once you're scraping the bottom of the barrel and getting Van Stratton on your show, that's, that's pretty much the end. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so the new version of the show is called Round Springfield, mm-hmm. where we exclusively talk to people who work on The Simpsons mm-hmm. about other projects and kind of how they got their jobs on The Simpsons, mm-hmm. maybe what they've learned. It's kind of like a WTF type podcast but mm-hmm. only about Simpsons writers that otherwise <laughs> like people don't really get to interview very often because they're not yeah. like huge celebrities even right. though I personally think every Simpsons writer should have a statue made in their honor. <laughs> That's just me. Even Schwarzwelder? Especially Schwarzwelder. Wasn't there, wasn't there an episode where they actually did make a statue of Schwarzwelder? <laughs> yes. Yes, alright. I could be on again. No. Okay. Today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly facts they should know. Plus we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of the show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Allie, who is up first. She's a comedian, writer, and actor whose comedy album, Deep Dive, is available now and who hosts the podcast, Sports Without Balls. It's Aaron Foley. Aaron Foley! Yeah! I believe this is the first high five from a guest for a uh, vocal. One of the credits that Ali did not mention and that I actually did not know until right before the show, you actually are writing on a very successful uh, sitcom that people enjoy. Yes, one day at a time. How about that? And boy, have I used that pun excessively. (laughs) Which, Which one? I'm just going to take it one ah, day at a time. Let me, like, let me go back. I'll set you up. Hey, 
How's that going for you, Aaron? I'm taking it one day at a time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, now, that show was on Netflix. It was a beloved show, and yet it, it did not make the cut at Netflix, but it moved somewhere else. Yeah, it was It was sweet. It was like a fan favorite in yeah. Pop TV, who has Schitt's Creek, and I am obsessed with Schitt's Creek. Yeah. Yes. Um, they're awesome. They're like, let's scoop it up. And now I have a salary, which yes. is pretty Yay. exciting. Yes. But also a show that you care about, too. It. That must I, be nice. Honestly, I love it. It's a dream. It's That's a dream awesome. sequence. That's terrific. Let's talk about your podcast, Sports Without Balls. Have you, have you always been into sports, even as a kid? Yes. Super gay, super into sports. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which came first? Type. Killing it. <laughs> <laughs> I should call my mother. Um, <laughs> although she probably wouldn't pick up. Uh, uh, yes, I've, I've been an insane sports fan since I was a little kid. You know, posters of all athletes on my walls. Mm-hmm. And I have a twin sister and... She would have like proper little girl posters, With, like, you what? know, like a cat, like hang in there and 80s dudes and cats. <laughs> uh, and uh, who, who are your teams now? Who do you like? Uh, well, support? born and raised in New York. So Giants, Yankees, Rangers, Knicks. Mm-hmm. And then I watch a ton of women's soccer and tennis. And mm-hmm. I watch too, too much, too much stuff, probably. Mm-hmm. No, I love what, it. It's what I you love. love. That's yeah. great. And on your show, you focus on interviewing female guests. Yes. Uh, who are some of the notable athletes that you've uh, gotten on the show? Oh, God. Christine Lilly. Uh-huh. Uh, she was one of the first people, and she was one of the greatest uh, soccer players of all time. Yeah. And I was so nervous to talk to her that I, uh, she had just come out with a book, and I read the book, um, like, just speed reading the mm-hmm. night before. And I was like, I could hear my voice, like, shaking when I was interviewing because I was, like, Aww. such an insane fan for so long. Renee Stubbs, she's the, arguably the greatest doubles tennis player of all time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a thrill. You talk to a lot of female actors and comedians as well. You know, there's, of course, there's, there's a reputation of, well, probably well-earned of, you know, dudes talking about sports on, yeah. on radio and podcasts, and, and you know, that can be kind of toxic. What do you, what do you notice when you're talking uh, lady-to-lady about sports? There's less screaming. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it's enjoyable. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, Are you allowed to have differing opinions? I think it's uh, when someone says something, they go, there's yeah. not like a lot of that, yeah. which is refreshing. We totally um, do that, right, yeah. fellas? Yeah. 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 What sport is the sexiest? I would probably say... Women's soccer mm-hmm. is pretty sexy. And why? Because they're hot. Yeah, that's it. That's all yeah. you need. Yeah. You don't yeah. find a lot of uh, yeah. you know, ungainly people playing uh, women's soccer in professional level. Yeah, you don't go, and then turn it off. <laughs> yes. Again, to compare that sound to how the men sound, that was wah, wah. Versus, ugh, ugh. Am, I, am I getting that right? You're nailing it. Yeah, this is going to be a very fun show for the transcribers to uh, take on whenever it's, that happens. It's like day. the parents in Charlie Brown. I yeah. love it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you have a CD out called Deep Dive. Uh, where did that title come from? Uh, I, ke- I kept repeating it. Like, uh, I think it started with a podcast. I kept saying, oh, I got to take a, a deep dive on, thi- on this sport. Or if I was researching something, I would say, oh, it's a, a deep dive. Like, I just kept saying it. Mm-hmm. And then I was. I was trying to get the title for the album, and the album, I don't know, it's got 20-some-odd tracks, and they're all so different mm-hmm. um, that I was like, I couldn't find, like, a common thread, mm-hmm. you know, for the for the uh, CD. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to call it Deep Dive. <laughs> yeah. I talk about different phases of my life and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, and it stuck. Uh, you did a very interesting show on uh, Lifetime that I just I love the format of and I got to see some clips of uh, called Mixologist and a Movie, and explain yeah. explain what that was. That was super fun. Uh, my buddy Sean worked at Lifetime, and you know Lifetime movies are the greatest movies yeah. uh, of all time. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
you know, it was sort of a spoof on like dinner and a movie, but I would make a cocktail and then they let me rip on the movie. <laughs> yes. And so I would be drinking and ripping on a Lifetime movie. And I'm like, can I do this forever? It was the greatest thing ever. So the yeah. downside is, or maybe the upside is, yeah. you had to watch all of these Lifetime movies. Oh, it was, yes. You got to. Completely. Yes, you got you to. Got yeah. to. <laughs> While drinking a martini and you're like, I think it's the husband. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was the greatest. How much Murtis Baxter uh, Bernie was in your life at that time? <laughs> There's not enough. You know what I mean? <laughs> not enough. Yeah. Uh, did the Lifetime fans respond to it well? Because they seem to take the stuff pretty seriously. You know, there's a couple tweets where you're like, okay, Sharon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, ah, get a hobby. Yeah, you know? and again, but, that, uh, but and again the sound you were making to Sharon is... I apparently you make the same sound. <laughs> <laughs> we all have, we all have different ways of communicating. Yes. It's beautiful. You know, let's all do it together to Sharon. Ready? One, two, three. Uh, uh, right. Aaron Foley, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Allie, against whom will Aaron be competing tonight? He is a filmmaker, musician, and competitive gamer whose YouTube channels have over 10 million subscribers, and he's the co-host of the podcast Story Break right here on the Maximum Fun Network. It's Freddie Wong. Freddie Wong. Hi, Freddie. Hello, hello. Hello, Freddie. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our, it's our pleasure. Uh, in addition to Story Break on Max Fun, you do another podcast about uh, yeah, this, this is... thing called Dungeons and or Dragons. Am I getting yeah, that right? this is like my whole life now is doing a Dungeons and Dragons what podcast. What version do you play? Not even. A, it's 5E very loosely. <laughs> okay, okay. Like, so this was an idea that a friend of mine had on Father's Day a couple of years ago. And we realized just talking about fatherhood and dads, we were like, you know, sort of in, in his neck of the woods. We were like, dad archetypes are just fantasy archetypes, to wit. Uh, <laughs> barbarians are basically like aggro coach dads who are yelling at the ref from the sidelines. Mm -hmm. Like, if you think about it, like, druids are just like Birkenstock wearing granola. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so in this car ride, we kind of came up with like, what if it was Dungeons and Dragons, and we called it Dungeons and Daddies, subtitle, not a BDSM podcast. <laughs> Uh, because you don't you want to be confusing. I think you needed that. Yeah, that was necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's four dads who get thrown into like the fantasy world of D&D. But it's not like, ooh, they're orcs or something. No, no. They are human, normal, suburban dads. <laughs> and they have a minivan. Yeah. Can you survive yeah. the Lord of the Rings fantasy world with a minivan and dad knowledge from our world? Wow. So they pull their weapons out of dockers or what, what happens? It's golf clubs. Golf clubs. Okay, the, yeah. The, uh, the minivan itself gets used as a weapon at some point because if you have a car, like if you think about yeah. Lord of the Rings, how short is that movie? If it's like, <laughs> they had a van. They got it. It's done. We're good. I dropped it off at home in time for a second breakfast. <laughs> well, Story Break is such a wonderful show. The other uh, podcast we do, yeah. Yeah, the other podcast you do here at Maximum Fun. Uh, and for those who haven't listened, you, you take a concept and you very quickly, with, with you and your co-host, turn it into a full-fledged movie pitch. Yeah, so this came from us constantly complaining about, how come they don't make a movie about blank? And then be like, it would be this. And then we come up with a thing like, yeah, that's a pretty good movie. Well, too bad we can't do anything with it. It's like, why well, no? What can we do with, with these dumb ideas we have? We can turn it into a podcast. We basically take just ridiculous everything. We've done like, what if Jar Jar Binks from Star Wars had his own, like Han Solo has his own movie. Why can't Jar Jar Binks have his own movie? Yeah. Sorry, what's the movie in that? And try and break that an hour. We've done Flow from Progressive. The whole <laughs> she, from she got a movie in your like, world? She got a whole film. Wow. Uh, sometimes we'll do things like, we'll take like, what like we did one for Boss Baby based solely on the fact that we had all only seen the poster. <laughs> and we're like, what could this movie possibly be? We, we knew that the baby talked yeah. and the poster appeared to be like a Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And we're like, 
All right, what's the movie? What could this possibly <laughs> yeah. be? And did you end up seeing the actual movie? We did. We do a little how post. How did it compare? We do a little posting. We're like, that's not what we thought it was going to be. <laughs> well, I, I've seen you do this live uh, well, once during, I think, a yeah. Max Fun Drive. And, uh, right here in this very yeah, room. Right here. right here, yeah. And it's like a magic trick. It's like watching you guys come, uh, flesh out this story. It's so great. What, what's sort of the secret to, to making a story out of, out of thin air? The trick is every idea and every fictional thing, if you really think about it, is stupid, so just yes and everything. It's the same as improv. It's just like, you know what? Who, you know what? Who cares? That works? Sure, why not? And then you just go with it, and yeah. hopefully you get something cohesive at the end and of has, it. And have any of the concepts actually gone further than the we podcast? We have gotten... We've been in the room, and we've been like, oh, we're talking to, like, this toy company. We have blank, and we'll, and we'll kick it around. And it's like, they've gotten... It's gotten interest. It's actually yeah. helped. And it's also helped us in our terms of our ability to be like, quick, come up with something for this. Yeah. And then, like, just quickly being able to, like, come and pitch something... Uh, it's it's got, nothing's been adapted directly, obviously, okay. because our ideas are ridiculous. And they usually kind of turn to like a level where like this, no one's paying money for this <laughs> movie anymore. But it's been it's been helpful. It's a good exercise, I gotta say. Yeah, it keeps that muscle. Uh, yeah, exercise. yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, let's talk about Rocket Jump, which is a company yeah. that uh, you're involved with. How do you describe what Rocket Jump does? I mean, it's like we're in this weird world now where it's like who knows what entertainment is. Like <laughs> kids will scroll through TikTok more than like yeah. television shows. Yeah. You know? So it's like who cares? Yeah. It's anything and everything. So we'll do a podcast in front of a live audience. It's like, what, what is anything like, what anymore? What would this possibly be? Yeah. Basically, we make just anything sort of digital digital mm-hmm. online sort of stuff because we, when we when I got out of film school, I couldn't, you couldn't do anything with right. you know like the traditional side of things. I'm like, I, I don't know anybody in this industry. I got no doors to put my feet in. Well, let's just kind of make our own thing and put it online and just sort of evolve from there. Yeah. So we've done a bunch of like web series. We've done like short videos. We've done YouTube. Um, and YouTube, by the way, when we first started was a very different, it's, like, it's crazy how much has changed from like, a weird experimental place for people to do like short films to mm-hmm. now like oh youth popularity and celebrity exists entirely on this platform mm-hmm. and I look around I'm like I'm not 34 I'm like I'm too old for this <laughs> we've had a lot of success on YouTube a lot of the ones that get these tens of millions of hits uh, tend to be a lot of action movie yeah, tropes, action movie yeah. parodies uh, why do you think that is what, what appeals to you about making those I just uh, I films? love action movies yes yeah. like that's growing up that was like the thing my, my parents my dad is he loves film he's Chinese he came from China to Hong Kong to hear and his assessment of what is acceptable for a child to watch is yeah. very wrong. <laughs> so from an early age, I very distinctly remember he was like, you need to watch the films of Dustin Hoffman. He's one of the greatest actors. And he's like, we'll start with The Graduate and then the next movie, Midnight Cowboy. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like 11. I was like, okay, what is well, okay. I was like, Graduate's funny, but like what is happening here? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, these are great films. Like, you have to watch them. We would just rent movies like every weekend and it was just action movies. I would just go and just watch all these action movies and just sort of just drink them up. So that's that was like my thing, action and comedy. Yeah. Uh, last thing I want to ask you about, uh, you are the winner of a Webby Award. Yeah. And uh, they're famous, among other things, that uh, the recipients are only allowed to make a speech that is five words or less. Uh, do you remember what your five-word oh, speech was? Oh, my goodness. My five-word... <laughs> I was trying to be all clever, and, and I think I did one of those, like, thank you so much. Oh, you know, so I was like, yeah. I was like, the sentence that didn't fit, like, he didn't try to cram it. It didn't play. <laughs> did not room. play. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and where do you keep your Webby? Oh God, it's in storage somewhere. It's this, okay, so it's this, it's this really heavy base, but it's a spring. Right. So for the longest time, it was, which, which in retrospect, this is a hella dick move, and I will not, would not do it again. But we would be in meetings, like it would be like in our little meeting room, mm-hmm. and I would just kind of like boing it because it was very fun to like boing it. But yeah. then it looked like, and I realized now, I'm like, oh, it looks like you're just showing off your webby. You. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's wonderful to have you here, Mr. Freddie Wong.
All right, Freddie and Aaron, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Aaron, you said you know a lot about women's tennis, cheesy dance pop from the 90s, and The Bachelor. All right, looking for some support, and I think you got it. Uh, whereas, Freddie, you said you know a lot about magic. Th this kind, not the magic the gathering. Yes, yep. for our listeners, you are magically removing part of your finger. It's disturbing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, you also said you know a lot about burgers in Los Angeles. Very opinionated. And the movie Face Off. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, indeed. <laughs> All right, well, later on, we're going to ask you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But for now, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, clean the table. First up in clean the table, Aaron. Aaron, your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Allie? It's from Jared Singh of Fairfield, California. Listeners, if you'd like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to gofactyourpod.com and click on Get Involved. Thank you, Allie, and thank you, Jared. Aaron, in the topic of clean the table, clean. Aaron, they both might make something cleaner, but what is the difference between sterilize and disinfect? Sterilize and disinfect. How much time do we have? <laughs> um, sterilize is really getting in there, you know? Um, just making it sterile. Ah. And, and the, the it like being... A, like, like no germs. No germs, like okay. Like germs are like, ah... And then disinfect is like a like a like a once over. Okay. <laughs> just giving it the old once over disinfect. Yeah, just like clean, but yeah. sterilize is like. You're not next getting in level. there with the disinfect. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. gotta get in there with the sterilize. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Aaron, we've got your answer. You don't know yet if Aaron is correct. Uh, Freddie, what do you think? This is an easy one. Disinfect kills all the bacteria on the surface. Sterilize makes it so the surface can't have babies anymore. <laughs> you might be looking at the definition of sterilize in the dictionary. Uh, but uh, you're going to stick with that? Sticking with it. Sticking with it. <laughs> All right. Well, it's time to clean up this segment. Let's go to Allie Gertz at the judges table for the facts. Here are the facts. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, when you sterilize something, you remove all microscopic organisms. Also, sterilization uses things like heat and hydrogen peroxide gas plasma. When you disinfect, you remove most living organisms, but specifically leave behind microbial spores. Also, disinfection usually leaves liquid chemicals like bleach or alcohol. That's right, and sterilized items are often packaged to maintain their sterile status, while things that are disinfected tend to be used right away. And if you have OCD, neither one is clean enough. <laughs> Allie, how do they do in that round? Aaron got one point. One point for Aaron. Very good. Uh, all right, up next in Clean the Table, Freddie with Table. Freddie, they both are things you'll use to set a table, but what is the difference between flatware and cutlery? Flatware and cutlery. Ooh, I think flatware covers, uh, like, ooh. Flatware covers uh, the utensils, like all the utensils, mm -hmm. like the forks and the knives and stuff. And then cutlery is a subset of it, which is all the sharp, pointy ones. All the sharp, pointy ones. Yeah. All right. We've got Freddie's answer. We don't know if he's correct. Aaron, what do you think? That was a good swing. Thank you. Um, flatware is when you when you put out flatware when you're having like casual friends over mm -hmm. that you don't really care about. 
cutlery is like, oh, these effing idiots are coming over. Mm-hmm. They care. I'll put out the cutlery. Yeah. You can really tell how much you care for those effing people. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this segment is getting tarnished. Let's go to Allie Gertz at the judges' table for the facts. Here are the facts. There actually is a bit of a regional difference between the two. Here in the USA, flatware generally refers to eating utensils. Knives, forks, spoons. Cutlery refers to serving utensils, your giant two-pronged fork and knife that you might use to carve a turkey, or a ladle and tongs. In the rest of the English-speaking world, flatware refers to any vessel that sits flat on the table, like plates, dishes, and saucers. Basically, anything that's flattish and can be easily stacked. Cutlery refers to any knives, forks, and spoons, whether they are for eating or for serving. Uh, That's right. And things like cups, glasses, or deep bowls are called hollowware, and together all this stuff is called tableware. And this explanation is going nowhere. (laughs) Allie, how did they do in that round? Freddie got one point. One point for Freddie. Yes. What is our score at the end of that round, Allie? Aaron Foley has one point, and Freddie Wong has one point. Oh, but those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Go Fact Yourself is supported in part by Fortunato Chocolate. Since 2008, Fortunato Number no. 4 Chocolate has been prized by top chocolatiers and pastry chefs in Michelin-starred restaurants. Made from rare, organically grown heirloom cacao from the jungles of northern Peru, it's never been available to the general public until now. Fortunato Number no. 4 is made by a family company that has direct relationships with over 400 farmers and a socially conscious business model that helps farm families earn more. Available in 36% milk, 47% dark milk, and 68% dark, and sold in 1.1-pound bars with minimal packaging to keep it affordable, visit podcastchocolate.com slash go fact. Also, it is so good. It's oh so my god, good. Helen, did you oh have some? God. Oh my god. Oh my god. Fortunato oh. chocolate. It's so good and tasty. <laughs> they bring it right to your door. It's amazing. And it's not one pound. It's 1.1 pound of chocolate. They give you an extra 0.1 pound. 1.1 pound. And believe me, you're going to want every last bit of it. Go to podcastchocolate.com slash go fact. That's podcastchocolate.com slash go fact. Thank, Thank you, you Fortunato, Fortunato chocolate. chocolate. And please send us more. <laughs> Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And we host Round, Round Springfield. Springfield. Round Springfield is a Simpsons-adjacent podcast where we talk to your favorite Simpsons writers, voice actors, and everyone who's worked on the show to talk about shows that aren't The Simpsons. So we're going to be talking to people like David X. Cohen, Yardley Smith, Tim Long about other projects they've worked on, sometimes projects that didn't go well. Mm. Some failures. Yeah. Some rejections. Some failed pilots. <laughs> some failed life events. Yeah. We just <laughs> talked to all the failures of The Simpsons. Yeah. So if you really love your Simpsons trivia and want to get to know the people who have worked on The Simpsons a little bit better, come by Round Springfield. Every other week on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Aaron Foley with one point and Freddie Wong with one point. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Allie. Thanks, everybody. 
Nice close game. Aaron, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about women's tennis, cheesy dance pop from the 90s, and The Bachelor. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about women's tennis. I've been watching tennis since I was a, a little kid, and it's been so fun, like, decade after decade to see uh, who gets better and better. And yeah. What is your favorite era of women's tennis? Well, the 90s has been, was pretty spectacular, but I, I think it's a no-brainer to see Serena. I mean, yeah. that, that competition, that level has been, yeah, fantastic. Terrific. And yeah. do you play tennis yourself? I play pickleball. <laughs> yeah! Tell us about pickleball. It's played on a smaller tennis court and it's super fun and you have to be like a crazy athlete because tennis is really difficult but pickleball is like mm -hmm. big, bigger paddles and you can smack the crap out of it and uh -huh. you can also probably drink during it. Ooh. Really is that where the pickling key. comes in? <laughs> Picklebacks. Do a little pickling. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's super fun. It's super fun. Excellent. You also said you know a lot about cheesy dance pop from the 90s. I love to dance and I like cheese. Mm -hmm. How, what do you define as cheese in that uh, context? Oh, you know, when people are like, oh, you know, it's not really good music. It's Britney Spears. And you're like, okay, when you're hammered on the dance floor, do you want, you know, uh, the Rolling Stones? No, you want Britney. You want talk Conversation yeah. ended. All right. A lot of support in this audience for that. Yeah. Uh, what, cool what would you audience. say are some of your favorite uh, cheesy pop songs from that time? Oh, well, J-Lo, anything yeah. by J-Lo. Uh -huh. On the Six was one of the greatest albums of all time. Uh, and also, she's so hot, I can't function. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, Britney, Christina, Destiny's Child, Missy. I'll give you Mbop by Hanson. Okay. Yeah, come on. Come oh, on. that's weird. You said Mbop by Hanson. I thought yeah. you said cheesy. <laughs> uh, and finally, Aaron, you said you know a lot about The Bachelor. Yes. I got roped in by my sister years ago. That's and how we I all get into stop. it. I know. Yeah. Yes, Allie. Yes. Do you have a favorite season of The Bachelor? I don't know if I have a favorite season. I just like it when you, you actually get to know the people. It was a couple, you know, four or five seasons ago, you still got to know the people. And then at the last minute, you're like, oh, what's going to happen? Yeah. You know? and, now and that changed? And now it's changed. They're all like 22. And they're like, I just, I don't know how I'm going to find love. I'm like, you just. Started. Yeah. You're a doll. Yes. Don't See, they look like dolls? They do. They look they like brass dolls. So you feel like a mentor to these young women. Yes. I need to. I've made such good choices in my life <laughs> that I need to sit them down and they can run away. All right. So to summarize, Aaron, you said you know a lot about women's tennis, cheesy dance pop from the 90s, and The Bachelor. Today we're going to quiz you about women's tennis. Woo! You seem pleased with that uh, choice. Do you go to any women's tennis games? Just for Grand Slams, I've just been to the U.S. Open. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I want to go to India Wells because it's so close, which is a tournament um, uh, <laughs> uh, close by here. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I just watch a ton on uh, TV, yeah. That's great. Just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in women's tennis to test your mastery in the subject with our expert-level question with up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about your topic, each worth one point. If you want it, you're allowed a hint for any two of these five questions. Freddie, do listen closely because if Aaron answers incorrectly, you can steal. By the way, Freddie, how much do you know about women's tennis? Next to nothing. All right. <laughs> I That's the one with the yellow ball? <laughs> the fuzzy yellow ball. Aaron? You're killing it, yes. Okay. Aaron, it sounds like you might have control of this category. Let's see what happens. Here we go, question number one. Many tennis players have competed in the Olympics. Fewer have won gold medals, and only two people, men or women, have won four gold medals. Both of them are American, both of them are women, and each of them happens to be the other's sister. Who are these dominating tennis siblings? <laughs> Serena Williams and Venus Williams. Allie? That is that correct. That is correct. Very good. <laughs> 
four gold medals. How about that? Uh, question number two. Speaking of Serena Williams, a cat suit she wore was partly the inspiration for a new rule the Women's Tennis Association added last year, which allows players to wear what without a skirt or dress during matches? Oh, shorts. Uh, a little more specific. Bicycle shorts. Like Allie? spandex shorts. I'm in the, I think that's right. I think that's right. Compression, Compression shorts or shorts. leggings. That's correct. Very good. Okay. That was confusing. That's right. Uh, they can now wear that without a skirt or a dress. Uh, yes, yeah. applause for that as well. It seems bizarre it took that long to make that, to make that allowed. Apparently, people like to tell women what to wear. That's what I'm learning. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, can I briefly interject? When yes. I worked as a video game tester, it was like a very weird job to begin with, and I was the only woman there, and they were very like looking for reasons to get rid of the only woman, and they gave me a dress code violation, which is not a thing in an office job. It's so weird. Like, there's no uniform. But the guy said, like... Um, she can she can either wear leggings or a skirt, but not both. So like she they definitely got that wrong in translation. Like yeah. they were writing it down. Like they're now asking me to be less prude than I was. <laughs> like they were asking me to be sluttier than I was yeah. at work. It's kind of amazing. And did you wear a cat suit that inspired that rule? <laughs> yes, I did. All right. <laughs> Video games can be fun. It sounds like. Uh, all right, you're two for two, Aaron. Here's question number three. Women's tennis has been a part of popular culture for decades, and on November 11th, 1989, just two months after her 18-year tennis career ended in a U.S. Open quarterfinal loss, who became the first and to date only female tennis player to host Saturday Night Live? Could you give me the dates again? November 11th, 1989. She hosted November? She hosted on November 11th. It was uh, just two months after her 18-year tennis career ended. You do have a hint available if you'd like to use the hint. Uh, uh, Billie Jean King? Allie, is it Billie Jean King? It is not. No, I'm terribly sorry. Freddie with a chance to steal. Uh, the only tennis player. No, Kornikova? Was it Kornikova? It was not. No, I'm terribly sorry. It was Chris Everett. Chris Everett. Oh. Yes. Uh, fun fact, the musical guest was Eurythmics. Fun. Yes. Late 80s are fun time. Let's see if you can bounce back with question number four. Steffi Graf is the only women's player to win all four Grand Slam events and an Olympic gold medal in the same year. What is this five-win achievement called? It's called the Golden Slam. Allie? Yes. That is correct. Golden Slam or the Golden Grand Slam. Serena Williams also did it. Uh, not in the same calendar year, though, I believe. Oh, yes. Amazing. This is making me hungry for Denny's. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I picture it topped with golden grams. <laughs> All right, very good. Here's question number five. You have two hints available still, although we only have one, so there you go. Uh, here's question number five. Just a few weeks ago, as we're recording, American Sophia Kennan won the Australian Open, which also means she won the richest prize in the sport. Within $300,000, what was the prize money in this year's Australian Open singles tournament in U.S. dollars? Well, I'll take the hint. All right, how about that hint, Allie? <laughs> In Australian dollars, it's four point one two million. Let me do that quick math. <laughs> um, two and a half is, U.S. is two and a half million U.S. an acceptable answer, Ali? That is an acceptable answer. That is an acceptable answer. answer correct. It was exactly $2,744,229 as of uh, yesterday. Fun fact, all Grand Slam tournaments pay the same to women and men in the singles tournament. The first to do so was the U.S. Open in 1973. The most recent was Wimbledon in 2007. Yes, Venus Williams and Billie Jean King walked into the offices of Wimbledon and demanded pay or they would shut it down. Billie That's Jean amazing. King and Venus. Damn right. Oh, I love it. Very good. 
Aaron, you did quite well in that round, but now here is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Women's tennis wouldn't be what it is today without the bravery of several key players who in 1970 bucked the tennis establishment and started a tour of their own. Under threat of being banned from playing Grand Slam tournaments and losing their national rankings, nine female players signed contracts to compete in the groundbreaking Virginia Slims Invitational, changing the sport forever. These women have become known as the original nine. For up to three points, name three members of the original nine. Helen Willis. Helen Willis. This is a good question. <laughs> Thanks, I, I wrote it. Because uh, I was like, I knew original nine, 70, Virginia Slim, 73, Philip Moore sponsored the concert because they wanted the women smoking. Uh, I'll just say it's not, but I'll just say Chrissy Everett. Okay, that, that's two, so I want to add one oh, more Oh, another one. Um, how about I'll do uh, Arancha Sanchez Vicario. Okay, so let's either. put them all together then. So give us your three. Uh, we'll do Billy Jean, Chrissy Everett, and Arancha Sanchez Vicario. Okay, so you're changing it. To, you're changing one of them to Billy Jean. Oh, oh yeah, one of them is definitely Billy Jean. Oh, okay, you didn't oh, say yeah. that before. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. So oh, let's get let's yes. get it now. Billy Jean started the whole thing. Okay, and then the other two are incorrect. But Chrissy Everett and Arancha Sanchez Vicario. All right, we uh, have Allie taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Allie, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight is an Olympic gold medalist who was one of the women's tennis original nine. It's Julie Heldman. Julie Heldman. What? Hello, Miss Heldman. No way. Aaron with a big smile. It's so exciting. Uh, Shaking hands. I mean, she is a trailblazer for women's tennis. Good evening, Julie. Good evening to all of you. Uh, we also want to talk about that you have a wonderful book about your experience, not just with tennis, uh, but uh, really about your life and some of the struggles that you've faced. It's called Driven, A Daughter's Odyssey. Uh, tell the people who may not know who your mom was. Um, my mother was Gladys Heldman, who organized, ran, started the Women's Pro Tour, brought in Virginia Slims, wow. got all the women to play, I can't say yet who they were, no. Uh, well, we'll talk about their okay. names in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And you had uh, a complicated relationship uh, with your mother that you talk about in the book. I did. My book is a lot about playing tennis, but I was brought up in a tennis family. My mother, in the early 1950s, she was just this incredibly energetic person who started and ran edited and published the world's largest tennis magazine, which she started. It was complicated because in the outside world, she was this incredible figure who did so much. And at home, she was mommy dearest. Mm. And uh, you ended up dealing with a lot of mental health issues that you're very open about in the book, your mental health advocate. Tell us about some of the struggles that you had and, and how you got through them. Yeah, I started having mental health issues when I was 18 and I got diagnosed at 50. Wow. So that during that time, there was a lot of struggles. Mm. The first time I played, I was like 19, won all my matches, played number two for America behind Billie Jean playing number one. And I was flooded with suicidal thoughts. God. And yet what I did was I played tennis. How do you prepare your mind to go and compete and, and be in such a public form when you're, when you're battling these? these I, I think it's having been brought up Mm -hmm. to do one thing and mm. do it well. So when on the tennis court, 
all that went out of my head. Wow. The rest of the time, it wasn't so good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what did it mean to you to finally have a diagnosis? Your diagnosis was bipolar disorder, is that Correct. right? And yeah. what did that mean to you to finally get that at, at age 50? <laughs> I write about what is so important to me to finally be whole, mm. to be honest. Most people don't talk about what it's like to have such mental health issues. But now, I seem to have gotten very largely on the other side. I have a wonderful husband, a wonderful daughter, and I have a good life. Mm. That's, That's really wonderful to hear, yeah. Uh, let's talk about tennis and your career huh? there for, for a while. Ali mentioned that you were an Olympic gold medalist in Mexico City. You didn't just win the gold, you picked up the entire collection. <laughs> Gold, silver, and bronze. And bronze in 1968. That's terrific. It was a demonstration sport uh, that year. It was, and it didn't become a full-time Olympic sport until 88 and 84. That's crazy to think now. It was a demonstration sport here in L.A. But now, of course, it's like as if it was there always. Yeah. But it wasn't, no. Uh, So what went into your decision to leave the game? Injuries. Uh, My right elbow, my left knee, and my right shoulder. And besides that, it was time to do something different. Yeah. Uh, And one of the things that you did differently, you became a lawyer. I went to law school. I did broadcasting. I went to law school. And then I went into business with my husband. And we tried not to kill each other. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That that worked out. Uh, You both built up a very successful, this is the eyewear business that you have? That's right, yeah. That's great. Um, One of the things I wanted to ask you about before we get to the the game portion, uh, you also did all of this as a Jewish athlete. You're in the International Jewish Hall of Fame. Uh, Did that add extra pressure, extra blowback from from people who already were mad at you for for sticking up for women, being a Jewish player? I think my mother took a lot of grief from that. Mm -hmm. She was this uppity Jewish woman (laughs) who was smarter than anybody. Yeah, right. (laughs) I say that as almost a Jewish woman. (laughs) (laughs) There were some of the tournaments at that era when Mm -hmm. I was playing. The biggest tournaments were held at country clubs that didn't admit Jews or blacks. Mm. So we were allowed in during the tournament. Mm. It was really a lot of Billie Jean's pushing to get out of those clubs and get into public spaces. Mm -hmm. And when there was real money, there was no reason to be in a club anymore. Mm. It really is amazing that they took them forever to to let her wear leggings. (laughs) I mean, what is this? Is women are supposed to wear skirts because they're supposed to look sexy. I don't care what they wear. Yeah. Play. Yeah. <laughs> They're here. Uh, I, I, lo- I love these stories. I love talking with you about this. Let's get to the reason that we brought you as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Aaron. We wanted to know uh, three of the original nine who were those groundbreaking women's tennis players. Allie, what was the first name that Aaron gave us? Billie Jean King. And uh, Miss Heldman? Absolutely right. Absolutely. That's a point for Aaron. Allie, what was the next name that Aaron gave us? Chrissy Everett. And uh, Ms. Heldman? She was under her father's thumb. Ah, okay. He would not have let her play. Oh, Same thing it. happened with Yvonne Gulagang. Yeah. Her mentor would not have let her play. Wow, even after the, all that money and all of the, all of the struggles well, that, that you all went to. Eventually, once the money got yeah, there, like, everybody joined. Yeah, then everyone did. <laughs> uh, all right, and Allie, finally, what was the last answer that Aaron gave? Aranja Sanchez Ficario. Ms. Heldman, is that correct? Too young. Too young as well. No, no. The others were Rosie Casals, Nancy Ritchie, Judy Dalton, Carrie Melville-Reed, Peaches Barkowitz, Christy Pigeon, Valerie Ziegenfuss, and someone named Julie Heldman. Aaron, is there anything you'd like to ask or say to Julie Heldman while we have her here? 
Well, I would just like to get you on my podcast, Sports Without Balls, so I can talk tennis with you for three hours. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say thank you, because if it wasn't for you and your mom and those original nine, we wouldn't be here watching, you know, tennis today. So that's uh, do, amazing. Do you know? It's the 50th anniversary this year. Wow. Oh, my God. Wow. It's yeah. amazing. Well, that shows how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> You're so amazing. Absolutely. Your story it's an honor. Incredible. An honor to have you here. Uh, the book, again, is called Driven, A Daughter's Odyssey. If people want to uh, find out more about you, you have a website as well. Yeah, and you can get the book on Amazon. It's also out in Audible. Excellent. It's an absolute honor and delight. Narrated by me. Narrated by you as well. <laughs> an absolute honor and delight to have you, Ms. Thank Julie you. Heldman. Allie, what is the score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Aaron Foley has six points and Freddie Wong has one point with a round of questions for Freddie coming up. That's right. We're going to talk with Freddie about a topic he knows about. Plus, later, Aaron and Freddie will go head-to-head -head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Hi, I'm Joe Firestone. And I'm Manolo Moreno. And we host After Game Show, a podcast where listeners submit games and we play them regardless of quality with a dozen listeners from around the world. We've had folks call in from as far as Sweden, South Africa, and the Philippines. Here's an example. This is a game we call Zooey Deschanel, where you turn a celebrity's name into an animal pun. You have an example, Manolo? Brad Gorilla Pit. Oh, that's a pun on Gorilla Pit? Yep. I don't know. If that's, that's Brad Pitt. Oh, okay. That's a high-quality game that you yeah. could expect. Dr. Game Show has new episodes every other Wednesday on Maximum Fun. Check us out, please. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself, where our score is Aaron Foley with six points and Freddie Wong with one point. Once again, here's Jake Keith Fam Stratton. Thank you, Allie. Thank you, everybody. All right, Freddie, you got uh, some work to do here. All uh, right. Of your many interests, Freddie, you told us you know a lot about magic, burgers in L.A., and the movie Face Off. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, you said you know a lot about magic. Yeah, so I was always, as a kid, kind of interested in it. I got, like, a magic book for a birthday party. I think a lot of folks start that way, mm -hmm. and I just started doing little coin tricks and card tricks, and my high school would do these Halloween, like, haunted house things for, in, in, in like, gyms for sort of neighborhoods where it's not so safe to kind of do trick-or-treating, <laughs> and it was always fun. Like, little kids are the best to do magic for because right. they either 100% believe you or they will call you out if you screw up. <laughs> like, adults, like, we will kind of, like, lean back, like, ah, I saw a thing there. But you won't say anything because we were all polite. Yeah. But kids will be like, ah, you did this, I saw it, and you're just like, yeah. I gotta get, you gotta get, get in front of the mirror, yeah. work harder. Yeah, I gotta say, that kid was me. That was, that was, <laughs> I was that kid as a kid. And then kids would often, like, uh, exaggerate, so it would start at the, in the night, like, oh, let me show you guys a little uh, levitation trick, mm -hmm. and by the end, it would be like, my friend said that you flew around the room and <laughs> touched the ceiling and dunked a ball, and can you show us this? I'm like, that, uh, you know, I can't. <laughs> yeah. What's your best trick? Uh, I do a lot of coin stuff, mm -hmm. which is complete. Like, if you're a magician and you know, like, magic stuff, like, coin magic is the most lame esoteric <laughs> magic. Because the problem with coin magic comes basically down to the coin disappeared. And then the immediate response is, it's in your other hand. And you're like, and oftentimes it is. So you got to figure out how you, you know. Yeah. And still, that is your best trick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Freddie, you also said you know a lot about burgers in L.A. 
I'm very opinionated on this mm-hmm. because LA's got like you know like every every inner city's got their food right like New York's got pizza, Chicago has like deep dish, Cincinnati mm-hmm. has bad chili which I hate. Sorry, Cincinnati is bad, and you guys got to just figure it out. But LA's <laughs> got uh, LA's got burgers, and mm-hmm. so uh, at a certain point, I was like started to realize I'm like no, you know what? Every single time I go to a burger place, I'm very critical of this. Mm-hmm. So I've been to a lot. I, that's like the go-to meal for me. And, Do you keep uh, track of it in some way? I don't keep a Google Docs uh-huh. or anything like that. I think I've, I've had like two hour long discussions with people and like I will talk to like at, at restaurants I'll be like hey quick question I'll talk to the chef and like ask them about like what's your like you know you know um, lean fat blend what kind of ground beef are you using and, you know if you if you, if you if you talk the talk you can find out a lot about burgers it turns yeah. out in LA so yeah yeah and uh, what would you say is the top burger in LA at this moment I think the best burger in LA is Bill's in Van Nuys it is this tiny shack like across the street from a tile workshop the <laughs> dude is old the grill is old and I think my favorite anecdote about it is there are two women who work there, one of whom uh, is his ex-wife who helps with like the packaging and, the, and all stuff, and the second of whom was his other ex-wife. That's how good the burgers <laughs> are. That's amazing. Wow. That, I want to try really that. really good. Yeah. Do you, are you confident about the ratio of things in that scenario? The ratio? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Real good. Yeah. And his son works there, too, as I, I think. And then also what's great is he keeps insane hours. Yeah. It's like it's 10, and four, 10 to 4, like four days a week. It's we like, can go after the show? No, 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 no. 10 in the morning to like 4 Oh, in the no. Afternoon. I thought it was 10 at night. Like it is like, yeah. No, 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 no. Okay. It is weird hours. And you're just like, listen, if it's like, oh, I want to get a burger. It's like, no, it's, he's not doing it. Yeah. He could give it. He could care less. Oh, by 5 o'clock, who wants a burger anymore? Well, this guy. Uh, I'm very excited to go there. I appreciate that. That recommendation. Bills and Van Nuys. All right. Finally, Freddie, you said you know a lot about the movie Face Off. So this is like during my like action movie binge, right? So I discovered the films of John Woo and all of his Hong Kong stuff, all of his American stuff. Sure, yeah, give it up that's for Woo. Right. John Woo, the, the most oh, incredible. People are literally shouting Woo. <laughs> yeah. And like Face Off, like as a kid is a mind-blowing movie, mm-hmm. especially if you've just seen, like, kind of like, oh, you're American movies, you're diehards, and what have you, and then all of a sudden, it's like, it's Nick Cage, it's John Travolta, they're impersonating each other, they both have two guns in both of their hands, they're diving around the place, there's a somewhere over the rainbow sequence, like, I unabashedly love that movie, and I've heard people say, they're like, face off, oh, yeah, yeah, it's so cheesy, it's good, I'm like, no, <laughs> it is good, it is an amazing action movie, and the fact that you have to couch it by being yeah. like, oh, it's so cheesy, means that you have no confidence in your ability to view movies, and I don't trust any of your opinions. All right, so to summarize, Freddie, <laughs> you told us you know a lot about magic, burgers in L.A., and the movie Face Off. Today, we're going to quiz you about the movie Face Off. Oh, yeah! This is just, I just want to do quotes into this microphone from the movie. Well, you might have that opportunity very soon. Uh, How many times do you think you've seen the movie Face Off? Oh, my God. 30, 40 at this point. Wow. What was the last time you saw it? End of last year. I try and at least do one a year at least. But then it's always people are like, there's a lot of people who haven't seen this movie, which is insane to me. I have not seen it yet. Have you ever seen Face Off? I haven't seen it. I also love Nick Cage very much. Oh, my goodness. I'm very sad that I'm definitely about to have it spoiled. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. Like, like, listen, Romeo and Juliet, we know what happens, but it's still one of the greatest plays of all time. You can know what happens in Face Off and still one of the greatest movies ever made. I mean, they kind of give it away with the title. Oh, brilliant. The face comes off? Oh, you didn't know that? Oh no! I'm sorry, Allie. Oh wait, really? Oh no! <laughs> yeah. Okay, it's fine. Yeah. Trust me, you want to see this movie. I just watched the finale for Six Feet Under and Mad Men like in the same week, so I'm like very behind on a lot of things. This is like the Mad Men of action movies. <laughs> the Mad Men of action Perfect. movies. All right. Uh, and do you have a favorite line or scene from the movie? 
if you know me, I will occasionally, like, if there's like a rowdy situation, I'll just start shouting, like, can I get a light? Anybody got a light? Which is what, like, Nick Cage's character does. I don't smoke. But for some reason, like, I just, it's so Im- embedded in my head yeah. that, like, I'll shout that line out in, like, contextually appropriate. All right, lines. I think you will enjoy this quiz. Uh, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in this topic. I cannot wait. Yes, for the three-part question, we're going to give you a chance to show off with five trivia questions, each worth a point. If you want, you get two hints for these five questions. Aaron, okay. do listen closely because you can steal if Freddie gets any of them wrong. Aaron, how much do you know about the movie Face Off? Uh, about as much as he knows about women's tennis. Okay, well... <laughs> In a way, they're, they're kind of comparable. I yeah. Freddie, here's question number one. Normally, when you write face-off, it's got either a space or a hyphen in between the words. But in this movie, what crazy piece of punctuation is in the title? It's a slash. Allie? That's correct. That is correct. It is and a he, slash. And he wanted the slash in there because otherwise it sounds like a hockey movie. Because if you think about it, right, like face, yeah, it's a hockey movie. No. No. It, yeah. It's a movie where someone's face comes off. It's a movie off. where two clear. faces get transplanted. It re- yeah. That really is what... <laughs> I think we need to watch this movie with Allie at some point, just to just to. Let I'm it sink available in. freelance face-off yeah. screenings. If anybody wants to book a face-off screening, I'll be in the corner just like cheering and standing. Absolutely. Fun fact: in the UK, a slash is actually called a stroke, but for some reason, you don't hear British people saying "face stroke off." <laughs> Question number two, Freddie. An early scene shows Nicolas Cage dressed as a priest while a choir sings Handel's Messiah. Turns out he's there to plant a bomb. Spoiler alert. Sorry, Allie. That scene takes place at a building in downtown L.A. that's about two miles from where we are now. What is this location? That'd be right in the lobby of the L.A. Convention Center where they're listening to Handel, who's such a hack. Wow. <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. Allie agrees that Handel's a hack. <laughs> Uh, fun fact, earlier this month, the L.A. Convention Center hosted the Black College Expo, the World Class Cheer and Dance Championship, and the International Stroke Conference, or as they called it in the U.K., Slash Conference. <laughs> Question number three. When the two main characters meet in a shootout on opposite sides of a mirror, Caster Troy, in Sean Archer's face, suggests they switch back. Seeing that's not an option, he says a memorable line. Finish the line that starts, oh well, plan B. Let's just kill each other. <laughs> Or shoot each other, potentially. That is correct. That is, of course, correct. (laughs) You're three for three. Here's question number four. Face Off has quite a talented cast, but only one person in the main cast has won a Tony Award. Who? Ooh, Tony Award. Uh, Hint, please. Let's get that first hint, Allie. She won it for lead actress in 1988's Burn This. I'm going to say Joan Allen. Allie? That is correct. That is correct. It is Joan Allen. Excellent use of the hint. You have a chance to go five for five if you can get this question correct. Speaking of awards, despite the movie's popularity, it shockingly did not win any Academy Awards. But it was nominated for one. In what category did Face Off receive its only nod? I often joke that these sets of categories you're going to replace best with most, mm-hmm. uh, but best sound editing, I believe. Allie? That is correct. All right, we're going to give it to you. Yes, best sound effects editing. Sound effects editing. That's, That's right. how it was known then. It later became and a different name. there are some good sound effects in this movie. There are some very good sound effects. Uh, fun fact, it lost to Titanic, which did not seem to have as many sound effects to edit. Yeah, weird. As Face Off. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's, all yeah that's pretty much all they had to do. By the way, Freddie Wong is five for five, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and now here is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time Ooh. for your cluster fact. Okay. 
We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Face Off had a long journey from script to screen with several different story iterations and several different producers and stars attached along the way. For up to three points, what Academy Award winning actor was once asked to star in the film but ended up being an executive producer instead? And despite all the changes to the script, who are the credited screenwriters of the film? Ooh, oh, I don't know. Oh, credit screenwriter stuff. I know it was Michael Douglas who they wanted in. Mm-hmm. Originally, it was actually going to be also they, they wanted Stallone and Schwarzenegger which would have been because this was like the height of their yeah. popularity which would have been insane because if you could imagine either of those attempting to imitate the other person <laughs> be wild Stallone could pull it off I don't know about Schwarzenegger yeah. oh no this is so bad oh, I don't remember the names of the screenwriters oh my gosh and I've actually oh no and I've actually met one of them too because this is what I was talking about backstage how I battle faces and names this is my one superpower I wish I had I can't I don't know I uh, do want to just name two friends: John Smith and uh, Dietrich. Well, two, just Dietrich from the movie. Yeah, man, that's I'm very <laughs> All right, embarrassed. You got by that down, Allie? All right, Allie is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. In fact, we have two experts. Allie, who do we have tonight? Here with us tonight are two screenwriters whose credits include the screenplay for Face Off. It's Mike Werb and Michael Kaliri. Mike Werb and Michael Kaliri, the writers of Face Off. <laughs> Michael and Freddie having a nice embrace and a handshake. We're going to get you all set up here. Okay. Freddie just revealed that he is indeed a producer because he knows everyone's name but the writers. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about Face Off in a little bit, but I want to go through some of your uh, other credits. Uh, Mike, you uh, wrote the screenplay for The Mask that some people may know. Uh, you both wrote Laura Croft Tomb Raider, the TV series Tarzan, and a whole lot more. Uh, how did you two first Another meet? Other things we also disown. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Plenty of those. Plenty of those. Uh, how did you two first meet and decide to uh, collaborate? We were both at film school, and I was sleeping on a friend's couch in North Hollywood, and I was taking two buses to get to UCLA, and we ended up in the same class, and somebody said, oh, that guy lives in Toluca Lake. He was living in his parents' backyard. You know how backyard. Are about giving other people rides when you don't know them particularly? So I, <laughs> anyway, he ended up driving me back and forth to school quite a and bit. And I still am, actually. Still <laughs> you drove me here, too. Picked him up tonight. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and Michael, did I read right? You worked with Roger Corman? I did. My first job was with Roger. What was that like? Roger Corman. Unfortunately, I didn't get to work with him directly okay. that much, which I really regret. It was the summer of Rambo that Rambo came out. Mm-hmm. And so Roger, who's the smartest man in Hollywood, by the way, and probably still is, Roger had heard that the FAA was was going to crash a DC-3 out in the Mojave Desert. And so he sent a camera crew out there to film it. He then took the footage back and he brought me in among other writers and said, I want to build, I want to make a movie. I was among the other writers that did not get that. I want to make a, he goes, I want to make a movie and here's the end. And then he showed the footage of this DC-3 crashing in the desert. And uh, that was the starting point of the whole movie. It never got made, alas. Oh, yeah. But what a finish. What yeah. a finish. What yeah. a finish. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, let's get into it. Face off. Sure. How on earth did you come up with the idea of two guys switching faces? What? Sorry, Allie. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute, wait a minute. You only thought it was one guy? <laughs> oh, no. It's funny, too, because my friend, it's one of his very favorite movies. Like, he religiously is obsessed with it, and he is going to, he's, like, planning on showing yeah. it to me very soon. Yeah. And 
You're going to know so much. I, yeah. But I feel like there's, they have to get there. So yes, they do have to get there somehow. Who knows how? I'm it would just excited. be awkward if one guy took his face off. <laughs> yeah. and yeah. like, What's you going said off? you were going to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we won't spoil any of the multiple endings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there is a large plane crash. No, yeah. yeah. Actually, there is, but not at the end. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. How on earth did you guys come up with this idea? Um, well, Michael and I, we started noticing a repetitive nature to the fact that a lot of the, these movies, the antagonist was always the same, like naked, muscular, doing one-arm push-ups in a hotel room, and, and not much beyond that. And we started saying, well, why can't the bad guy be as interesting as the good guy? And that led to, why can't the bad guy be the good guy? Mm. And then we initially the idea, Michael, why don't you tell what the initial kernel of the film was, which was more like Fortress. Yeah, well, Mike got a li- jumped a little bit ahead, uh, about 10 minutes ahead in our initial conversation, which was our the initial spark was to make a lot of money. Mm. <laughs> uh, you know, the, art. Yeah, yeah, because this was the era of the ginormous spec sale, mm-hmm. like the Shane Black in yeah. million dollars, you know, f- the script goes out on Friday, and on Monday, you get your check for a million and a half dollars. So we, we thought, we can be as dumb as that, you know? <laughs> um, and so we got together, and, and we at that time, every studio in Hollywood was looking for the next Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Die Hard in a boat, Die right. Hard in a plane, Die Hard in this, Die Hard in everything. It's like Dr. Seuss. Yeah, he's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so we thought, well, how about Die Hard in a prison? We haven't, there hasn't barely been like a prison movie in a long time. And I did a bunch of research about Attica, which I happily presented to Mike, and Mike was like, this is not fun. <laughs> <laughs> prison riots are no, no fun. But what if the prison was in the future? Mm-hmm. It became a cop and a robber thing, and then it was like, well, they can switch roles, but then why doesn't he just call his wife and say, I'm here at the phone booth? And he's like, well, what if they switch bodies? Now we're like 100 years in the future, right, yeah. at least, and making all this stuff. So it just really kind of backed into the idea, frankly. And it was, yeah, and it was just as nutty. <laughs> I mean, the many times during the production of this, because the studio spent a great t- deal of money on this, and it's John Travolta and Nicolas Cage, and the, Mike and I many times would lean each other and go, they know this is about face swapping, right? I mean, they, <laughs> they read the script. The yeah. only reason we were never kicked off the movie is because nobody ever understood it. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. We had to constantly explain it to them even sometimes to the lead actors it's like no no you're the other one in that in this. <laughs> it was actually a formatting thing for the script yeah. I don't know if there's probably some screenwriters out sure. here it was a formatting thing where we had to decide are we going to say caster or are we going to say Sean Archer on this page we had to decide and we just you know, yeah, we stay with whoever the real character was. Yeah. But we would have been fired instantly if the AD had said, you know what, let's, we, if the movie's cast, let's just cross out the character names and put down Travolta or Cage. That way we'll know <laughs> that's who's what working said. that day. Yeah. But they never did that. So that's what, you know, so it was one of the reasons we stuck around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there were others. Yeah. How, how did the film, how did the script get to John Woo? Well, we, we optioned the script first to Warner Brothers. And Joel Silver. Uh, and Joel Silver. And we did a draft, and Warner Brothers was never into it. In fact, they like didn't understand it. One night, I went to the New Beverly just to watch some black robe or something, and there was this trailer ahead of time. It was this insane shoot 'em up, and it was all intercut with like these little pulls from like the Village Voice. This is the most damnedest movie I've ever seen, and it was the trailer for The Killer. Mm. It was a John Woo, very famous John Woo film, and it was like bodies flying everywhere. And I thought it was like animation and stuff. So we went to see it, 
And I just thought it looked cool. I didn't mm-hmm. know anything about Hong Kong films or John Woo or anything. And yeah, we Clary went. turns to me, grabs my thigh. At the goes, end of it. We just wrote a John Woo movie. Yeah, at the end of it. <laughs> at the end of it, we said, holy Face Off is a John Woo movie. Wow. Completely. And little did we know, John had been sent the script uh, when it was at Warner Brothers. We didn't know that. And it's, funnily enough, like when we were working with John and the movie was coming out, John kept. John loves the press and he loves to be interviewed. And he said, "Oh yes, I took out all the futuristic stuff because the early drafts were very futuristic." Mm-hmm. And we talked to John's partner, Terrence, and said, "Why does John keep saying that? He never never saw those drafts." He goes, "Oh, John thinks he took out the futuristic stuff because Joel Silver sent him the script." And John said, oh, "I like this, but it's too futuristic." Flash forward two years, we had taken it all out just on our own because it, first of all it was going to be too expensive and we didn't felt well we and Michael it. Douglas was very clear Michael Douglas said guys I've read every draft of this this is not an action film this is a psychological thriller and you need to treat it like that anyway. yeah so anyway so that so John thought so then we got sent to John by Michael Douglas he thought oh they took my note Oh, I'm interested. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> and then from there. Uh, and now, John Woo, if you're listening, Michael Kaleri said that. I yeah, I yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is listening. You know he is. Uh, and how did, how did John Woo change it uh, after he got it? All he wanted to do was talk about the characters. Mm. It was not about the action. And then when we got into the action, like the opening sequence, we had to rewrite it. Uh, <laughs> I think how many times, oh, Michael? I don't know. The airplane Forever. sequence that yeah. you don't know about? Yeah. It was like, how are we going to get Nick Cage in a coma oh, here? And so <laughs> oh, we wrote one version where he's frozen in like a, from a cryo tank and another where he's electrocuted. It went on and on. We kept sending new drafts to John and they j- no response from John. Just never happened. And then finally we did the airplane propeller turbine engine and uh, suddenly it was in the script. So wow. that's... Yeah. And now tell us about the slash. Well, we put the slash in when we thought of the title and we loved it, of course. And then when it finally ended up at Paramount from uh, Warner Brothers, there was a big problem with it. But we ended up being very cozy with the, uh, with, uh, the production designer and we went on the slide to him and said, because initially all the memos were coming and it just said face off, either with a dash or just a, a space in between the two words. And we said, I want every memo, any document that comes out must have the forward slash in it, must have that. So that happened. So we, we, we knew very early on, because it took six years to get the movie made, just to have um, people get used to it. Mm. Well, finally, when it came up to like creating the one sheet and other um, merchandising things for the film, uh, there was a huge pushback from the studio about the about the slash. Like, you can't have it. Um, there were memos just about the slash. Oh, yes, yeah. not just yeah. memos. What was the issue with it? The issue was it won't fit on a marquee. What? Uh, nobody it now takes you less have like room than a dash. You have crazy love. There's a lot of other movies that use that now, but we were. I think we were the first. There was actually an article in Entertainment Weekly about the slash. (laughs) Because they'd heard that Michael, unfortunately, wasn't available for this meeting, but I was called in to meet with every, all the heads of every department in, at Paramount to defend the backslash. (laughs) And it was about an hour meeting, and it went on and on, and I was talking about metaphors and yin and yang, and (laughs) and that the slash represented a, 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 a scalpel or an umbilical cord that separated good and evil. Uh, Joseph Campbell usually 
But Michael, Michael always had this plan. Whenever anybody questioned anything we did, we'd always quote Joseph Campbell. <laughs> and Michael took me to one of his seminars. And, um, and usually that worked. It didn't work. Oh. Nothing worked. They weren't into the power of myth no. of Paramount? Nothing. No. No. Finally, at the end of the hour, I was so exhausted, I just like got up and I yelled, look, if we don't have the slash, everyone's going to think it's a f***ing hockey movie. <laughs> <laughs> so it's true. You were and right, And they Freddy. shut up. Yeah. yeah. What you said earlier. Yeah. yeah. Uh, last thing I just wanted to ask you, uh, there was talk at the time of, of perhaps having a sequel because it, got, it was such mm -hmm. a, a huge hit. Was that something that you guys ever developed? <laughs> many times. Oh, okay. Yeah, many times. <laughs> Including not that long ago oh, where we okay. wanted to do a uh, summer 10-part series. Oh, um, yeah. Not, not a sequel, but a reboot where um, we were going to cross the racial barrier mm. and have it be um, a Pulitzer Prize-winning African-American journalist and a uh, psychopathic um, uh, white nationalist uh, serial killer. And then we want for the second, and then for the season after that, we of course wanted to do it with two women. Wow. Um, but uh, it did, just didn't go anywhere, wow. and now apparently they are rebooting it. I don't know who they are to I'm write gonna it. I'm going to green light but... it. I'm going to go okay. ahead. Please. Green light for Marin. I'd start with the women and yeah. then get yeah. to the. Yeah. All right, let's get to the reason we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Freddie. Freddie, with his face in his hands, perhaps ready to Yo, take no. it off and give it to somebody else. Uh, we wanted to know from Freddie first uh, what Oscar-winning actor was once asked to star in the film but ended up being the executive producer instead. Allie, what did Freddie say? Michael Douglas. Uh, and uh, gentlemen? That's correct. That is correct. correct. Yes, one point for Freddie. Very good. And next, we wanted to know who were the two screenwriters who were credited <laughs> with writing the film. Dietrich and Smith. Dietrich and Smith. Yes, yeah. let's, let's get both of those answers, Allie. Uh, yeah, you said John Smith and Dietrich. Oh, yeah. uh, why don't you tell them who you are again? I'm Mike Werb. Werb. Michael Kaleri. Kaleri, so they are the screenwriters lead. indeed. Yeah, Freddie, is there anything you'd like to ask or uh, say to our screenwriters? Yeah, here? well, no, I want to. I want to just say, uh, sorry, I don't know your name. Sorry about that. I'll rectify that immediately. But. No, I, I just wanted to say that, one, thank you for penning, like, a huge part of, like, the, uh, a movie that informed my entire, like, body of work and, and uh, is, is it was been, has been a huge inspiration for me. And two, for making an action movie that I think we've lost now, the idea of, like, something that is so character-driven from the onset, I really feel like the modern slate of action movies is just wish fulfillment. Like, there's no... Uh, you could take any fight scene from any movie here and plant it anywhere in the movie and make no difference. Mm -hmm. Like, all the action I see now is just like, cool, it's a little bit of a riff where everyone gets to do cool acrobatic stuff and that's it. And Face Off for me is such a good example of when you combine like a character-driven thing where you see the evolution every single action scene and in, and in every single action scene there's enough there's so much stake there's so much at stake yeah, it continues the story it's not yeah just and you're literally like on the edge of your seat like you from a character standpoint which i think we've lost and i want back in movies again so thank you so much for that that's lovely uh mike if people want to find you or your work where can they go uh rowan what's my twitter handle <laughs> You're asking your child? Uh, his daughter. Oh, his daughter. Uh, I, I daughter. think Mike Werb, L.A., not the one in, or not the two in Toronto, who I'm also, <laughs> get that I'm also related to both of them. Oh, all right. <laughs> and it's, it's supposed to be against Jewish religion to actually have 
uh, the same be named after someone else that's living, but I don't know what. Especially happened. on Twitter. On Twitter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, also uh, on uh, Facebook, it, I'm Simpsonized, so you can discern me from the other two. All right, very good. And Mr. Cleary, where can people find you? Uh, my website, which I hope I've paid the dues to GoDaddy, uh, michaelcleary.com. Excellent. It's yeah. wonderful that you joined us. Thank you oh, so thank much. You. Michael Cleary and Mike Werb. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate it. Allie, what is our score going into the final round? Going into the final round, our score is Aaron Foley with six points and Freddie Wong with seven points. All right. Now it is time for a final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read ten statements, and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Aaron and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Aaron, Ben & Jerry's makes ice cream. True. Correct. Freddie, Ben & Jerry's was started by two guys named Ben & Jerry. True. Correct. Aaron, Ben & Jerry are brothers. True. Incorrect. Nope, they're not. Freddie, Ben & Jerry's is owned by the same company that makes Breyers ice cream. Ooh, I think that's true now. Correct. Aaron, Ben & Jerry's is owned by the same company that makes Haagen-Dazs ice cream. True. Incorrect. Nope. Freddie, Ben & Jerry's is owned by the same company that makes Axe body spray. God, this conglomerate. You know what? I'm just going to say true because that's how the, the direction that this crappy world's going anyway. Correct. That is correct. <laughs> Aaron, Ben & Jerry's is owned by the same company that makes Hellman's mayonnaise. <laughs> true. Correct. That's right. That company is Unilever. Freddie, Ben & Jerry's made a flavor with Hellman's mayonnaise. Ugh. Probably true. Incorrect. No. Nah. Uh, well, I'll, I'll be first in line for it, let All me right. tell you. I know. It sounds awesome. Aaron, Ben & Jerry's made a flavor named after the Dave Matthews Band. True. Correct. Freddie, that flavor was just vanilla. <laughs> oh, false. Correct. Aaron, the flavor was called Crash Into Me Int Chocolate Chip. False. Correct. Freddie, the flavor was called So Much to Sorbet. False. Correct. Aaron, I would rather eat Hellman's Mayonnaise Ice Cream than listen to Dave Matthews Band. <laughs> true. That Correct. is true. We're not going to count those last few. Let's give a nice hand to our guests, Freddie Wong and Aaron Foley as Allie tabulates the final score. Allie, are you ready to announce the winner on today's episode? Yes, Aaron has 10 points and Freddie has 11 points. Congratulations, a very close game. Freddie Wong, you are the facting champion on Go Fact Yourself. Freddie, what will you do with your championship? Uh, I'm going to probably be, for the next 10 years, in uh, screenwriter jail for not knowing the name of screenwriters of Faceoff. <laughs> a wonderful way to celebrate. All right, let's give everyone on the table a chance to promote any upcoming products, appearances, or services. Aaron, where can people find you? What are you up to? Uh, AaronKFoley.com is uh, the website and uh, Sports Without Balls podcast. And also, One Day at a Time is back on Pop TV on March 24th after Schitt's Creek uh, finale. Excellent. Congratulations, and thank you so much for joining us, Aaron. Aaron Foley. Woo! Freddie, where can people find you? What do you have going on? I am F. Wong on Twitter because I got on that early like a nerd. Uh, you can find my other podcast, Story Break, which is also a Maximum Fun podcast, and Dungeons and Daddies, not a BDSM podcast. <laughs> and I play guitar in a band called Dawn of Jane. Excellent. Freddie Wong, wonderful to have you here as well. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you are so lucky because your guest co-host tonight has been Ms. Allie Gertz. <laughs> Where can people find you, Allie? You can find me at Allie Gertz and all the things. You could listen to my Simpsons podcast, Round Springfield, on Maximum Fun. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have a book about the Simpsons called 100 Things the Simpsons Fans Must Know and Do Before They Die. That is a long title. It is. It's too long. Excellent. <laughs> I think I got it wrong. Uh, 
Well, we got it right by having you, Ms. Allie Gertz. Thank you so much for stepping in. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Uh, and me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith or on uh, Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Aaron Foley, Freddie Wong, Julie Heldman, Michael Kaliri, Mike Werb. Please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com and buy our T-shaped shirt at MaxFunStore.com. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live. It's free. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like Earth1981 did. He, she, or they said, so much fun. It's not just the play on words in the title that's fun. The whole podcast is a joy. Thanks, Earth1981. <laughs> Allie? Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from the Angel City Brewery in Los Angeles. Questions on Go Fact Yourself are compiled by the Trivia Industrial complex it is produced in collaboration with maximum fun go fact yourself theme song and incidental music were written and performed by jonathan green maximum fun senior producer is laura swisher the show is edited by julian burrell dave mckeever is our live sound engineer special thanks to amy kaufman jody lieberman at jlc entertainment group spencer marks leora saul clint tauscher michael the priz prisboski at priz sound adam needeth Dave Bianchi, Erich Tran, and Christine Vallada. I've been Allie Gertz. Yeah! Let's go watch Faceoff! Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.